with all the news about artificial intelligence today, it's easy to forget that we've been working with it for a long time. Do you remember Clippy? The paperclip emoji from Microsoft Office who was always ready to offer assistance. Clippy would pop up in the bottom of the screen and say, it looks like you're writing a letter. Would you like some help? And even if we didn't want help, Clippy was still there for us. Well, old Clippy has popped up again in a meme that's going around on the internet where Clippy says, hi, it looks like you've quoted Martin Luther King Jr. out of context instead of engaging with the complex reality of white supremacy in America. <laughs> Would you like some help with that? <laughs> Clippy is there for us when we need. Americans have become incredibly cavalier when it comes to quoting Dr. King. The peak of absurdity for me came during the Super Bowl in 2018 when Dodge ran an ad for their trucks with a voiceover from King's drum major instinct speech. It was a desecration. And the irony is that King actually had incredibly coarse words for advertisers who sell cars in that very same speech, which one savvy internet guru used to recreate the ad with those excerpts instead, and I can attest that the revised version is much more enjoyable. Should look it up. Last year, Pager Duty's chief executive took things to an all-time low when she quoted Dr. King in an email announcing layoffs at the company. She wrote, I am reminded in moments of this, of something Martin Luther King Jr. said, the ultimate measure of a leader is not where they stand in moments of comfort and convenience, but where they stand in times of challenge and controversy. Yikes. Yikes. Gratuitous, out-of-context, tone-deaf uses of Dr. King's words have become so frequent in society that Cornell West has dubbed this phenomenon the Santa Clausification of Dr. King. When we memorialize a person, we also tend to sanitize and sterilize and sentimentalize their words. Or worse, we reduce their entire canon down to a single catchphrase or soundbite that is quoted out of context for the sake of supporting something that King would have opposed. It's astonishing that King delivered 2,500 public speeches in his life and spoke nearly a million words. Yet if you listen to politicians and pundits today on both sides of the aisle, you'd think King only ever said one thing. People should not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Quoting that one line from King is lazy. But the real problem is the propensity of politicians and pundits to quote that line to support policies and perspectives that King was clearly against. Several political leaders used that very same line last year to claim that Dr. King would have been glad to see the Supreme Court overturn affirmative action. But King was the one who initiated the first successful affirmative action policy in the United States, Operation Breadbasket. And he was well aware of arguments against affirmative action, which is why he wrote, whenever the issue of compensatory treatment for black people is raised, some of our friends recoil in horror. They agree black people should be granted equality, but they believe black people should ask for nothing more. 
On the surface, this seems reasonable, but it is not realistic. In 65, King compared affirmative action to the GI Bill, which single-handedly built the white middle class in America and said, we have ample precedence for special compensatory programs and a society that has done something special against black people for hundreds of years must now do something special for black people. King's support for affirmative action was so clear and irrefutable. So why do people imagine that they can invoke his words to support banning books on slavery or forbidding curriculum on race or ending affirmative action when King spent his life adamantly working for all the things they're trying to eliminate. I wish it was ignorance. I wish it was a coincidence. But they're pretending. And the act of pretense is a part of a long and concerted effort to co-opt King's message for the cause of creating a colorblind racist society. We forget that immediately prior to King's death, his popularity with Americans had decreased significantly because of his opposition to Vietnam and efforts to eradicate poverty. 72% of whites and 55% of blacks disapproved of him. So in 73, when a bill was introduced to create a holiday commemorating Dr. King, the one we're celebrating this weekend, it took 10 years to get it passed. And when it did, 90 representatives and 22 senators voted against it. In fact, there are six lawmakers in Congress today who opposed it still holding office. President Reagan also opposed the national holiday, calling King a communist. And before signing the bill into law, he decided to mark the first official MLK Day ever by using King's words to oppose employment quotas designed to address racial discrimination, even though King believed in quotas. And Reagan said this, we are committed to a society in which all men and women have equal opportunities to succeed, so we oppose the use of quotas. We want a colorblind society that, in the words of King, judges people, yeah, you guessed it, not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. From that day on, a tradition was born of politicians and pundits engaging in this pretest, using the same line from King over and over again to support policies and projects that King would have opposed and to oppose policies and projects that King would have supported. And it is disrespectful and it is disingenuous, but it has been happening at an alarming rate lately and it will certainly take place sometime this weekend. And so we have to ask, what are we supposed to do? When we find ourselves living at a time when people intentionally use Dr. King's words for causes that are the opposite of what he stood for? How do we navigate with all the pretending? Well, it's actually not a new phenomenon for those of us in church. People have been doing the same thing to the words of Jesus for 2,000 years. And so the way that we live in a world where people invoke Jesus or Dr. King for anything they want to, even if it has nothing to do with King or Jesus, is turn to the apostles and the teachers of tradition for help. We turn specifically today to the Apostle James for help. James Baldwin, I mean, <laughs> who once wrote, one is in the impossible position of being unable to believe a word one's countrymen say. 
I cannot believe what you say, the song goes, because I see what you do. I cannot believe what you say, because I see what you do. Baldwin said that if we really want to know who people truly are, then we must look at what they do. Otherwise, we will risk being confused or misdirected or fooled by what they say and bamboozled by the pretenders. It's not what we say. It's not who we quote, but what we do that matters. As people of faith, our actions must match our words. Otherwise, our words are just lip service. That's what it means to have integrity. The good news is we're not the first generation to find ourselves in a world of insincerity. Jesus had a word for this in the Gospels. He called it hypocrisy, a word he used for people who were always playing, always acting, always pretending to be good. By the time we get to the third century, when the book of James was written, Christians were struggling with the issue of hypocrisy again. And the question of why so many people were practicing, were pretending instead of practicing to be followers of Jesus. Hypocrisy has plagued Christianity from the beginning, causing countless horrors from the, from the Crusades to the Confederacy. It has led many to lose their faith in God or leave the church or give up on religion. And we see it rearing its head again today with prosperity gospel, Christian nationalism, white moderates who King said are a greater stumbling block to his stride toward freedom than the white citizens council or the Ku Klux Klan. And why did he say that? He said because they are more devoted to order than justice. They prefer a negative peace or the absence of tension to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly say, I agree with you on the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically, King said, believe that they can set a timetable on another person's freedom. He said, who live by the mythical concept of time and constantly advise black people to wait for a more convenient season. To address hypocrisy in their community, the writer of the book of James counseled people not just to be hearers of the word, but doers as well. James said we must not just have faith alone, but works to accompany our faith. And James went so far as to tell his people, believing in God doesn't make us any better than demons. They believe in God too. Referencing Matthew 25, James said, if someone is naked and lacks daily food, we should not say, go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill, and then do nothing for their bodily needs. James asked, what good is that? There's no good in that at all. If we wish someone well but do nothing, we're just, we're just pretending. Pretending to do good. Pretending to have faith. So James declared on multiple occasions, faith without works is dead. Dr. King agreed. He once wrote, it is my conviction that any religion which professes to be concerned about the souls of people, but is not concerned about the social and economic conditions that scar the souls, is a spiritually moribund religion only waiting for the day to be buried. A lot of us today approach being a Christian as if it's as easy as changing our status on Facebook. 
Ben Boswell is now in a relationship with Jesus. That's all we have to do. Just change it. Now we're Christian. But relationships, we all know this. Relationships require the same thing. Work. Changing our status on social media doesn't mean anything if we don't do the work. Because if we don't actively, intentionally work on our relationships, we will quickly find ourselves in a very different kind of relationship. And what is the work? James is very clear at the beginning of his letter. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to care for the orphans and widows in their distress. The work of religion is relationships. Not just with God, though. That's the trick. But with the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized and the oppressed of the earth. Love God and love neighbor is the crux of our faith. But we demonstrate our love for God by loving our neighbors especially the poor and the hungry and the thirsty and the naked and the housing insecure and the incarcerated in America. Our whole faith, the whole thing, our whole church, Jesus, God, spirituality, the Gospels, the Bible, Christianity, Byers Park Baptist Church, it all comes down to this, our relationships with the poor and the vulnerable. Jesus understood this. James understood this. Dr. King understood this. So why do we still continue to struggle to hear the call to practice peace and justice and equality when it is so clear that that is what our faith is about? It's because it's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easier to confess Jesus as Lord than it is to follow him. It's easier to worship Christ than it is to follow Jesus. It is easier to pretend to have faith than it is to practice. And the world is set up for this. It's designed to make it easier and safer and nicer and warmer and more comfortable for us to pretend. And as soon as we try to practice, instead of pretend, things get public and political and personal and difficult. And soon enough, someone will say, why do we have to talk about all these social justice things in church? We've all heard it, and I've been thinking about it a lot. There is some truth in that statement. Why do we describe social justice as issues? Is it so we don't say problems? Is it so we don't say conflicts? I don't know where we got this issue thing from, but I know one thing, the church is not supposed to have issues. Followers of Jesus aren't supposed to have issues. We don't have issues. We have relationships. The way we frame things matters. People of faith and churches aren't called to have a stance on issues. We are called to practice the life and teachings of Jesus in our relationships with others. When we frame it as having a stance on an issue, we take the humanity out of it. We make it less personal, we dehumanize it so it becomes a concept somewhere out there and not a human being who we're in relationship with. Let me break it down. We don't have a stance on the issue of LGBTQIA people and inclusivity. We have relationships with LGBTQIA plus people and we love and we care for them by fighting for their rights. We don't have a stance on the issue of racism. 
We have relationships with people of color and white folks, and we love and care for them by working diligently for racial and economic justice. We don't have a stance on the issue of immigration in this country. We have relationships with migrants and refugees, and we love and we care for them by offering our hospitality. It's not about issues, it's about relationships. We don't have a stance on the issue of gun violence. We have relationships with children and people we want to live long lives. So we advocate for a ban on assault rifles. We don't have a stance on the issue of reproductive justice. We have relationships with women who deserve autonomy, freedom, and access to healthcare. We don't have a stance on the issue of Israel and Palestine. We have relationships with Palestinian people. We have relationships with Israelis, relationships with Muslims, relationships with Jews, so we call for a ceasefire because we don't want to see any more death and destruction on either side. And we don't even have a stance on the issue of climate change because we have a relationship with the earth and all God's creatures, so we organize for environmental justice. We don't have a stance on the issue of economic inequality in America. We have relationships with the poor, and so we fight for living wages. Don't be mistaken. It's never been about issues. It's always been about relationships. Relationships are difficult and messy. We are human after all, and we are not going to get it right all the time. Nobody has perfect integrity in every relationship. There are ups and downs in all relationships, especially the ones that we have with folks who are impacted, with the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized and the oppressed. Everything is constantly changing because relationships are with other living beings who are also evolving over time. That's why we have to be lifelong learners who are always open to growing always open to education, always open to evolution, and ready to acknowledge when we miss the mark, eager to make amends when we fail and fall, eager to do better, eager to work harder to build a more just and equitable world every single day. And that's why we need grace for each other. Grace so that we can be patient with ourselves, patient with other people, honest and genuine, open to feedback, never expecting the work of yesterday's relationships to be the same as the work that is needed for today's. Dr. King was human too. Even he evolved. In fact, he was accused of hypocrisy on the most critical relationships of our time with Israel and Palestine. King had an extraordinary relationship with the Jewish community, marching with Heschel, and a great relationship with Arabs across the world as he visited so many Arab nations. But when two groups of people who we love and care for are in conflict with each other, it becomes incredibly challenging to act with integrity in both relationships. In May of 67, with the Six-Day War on the horizon, King signed a statement with other theologians and other religious leaders called the moral responsibility in the Middle East, which sounded a call to arms for America to stand militarily with Israel. But the response to this was swift. 
The media accused King of being a hypocrite who abandoned his anti-war position. Arab journalists said he had betrayed the Palestinian people. King later told his friends a few weeks later he regretted signing the statement. But after the Six-Day War, on June 18th, King appeared on ABC and was asked, should Israel, in your opinion, give back the land that she has taken in conflict without certain guarantees such as security? And King answered, for the ultimate peace and security of the situation, it will probably be necessary for Israel to give up this conquered territory because to hold on to it will only exacerbate the tensions and deepen the bitterness of the Arab people. What King said about the conflict was mixed. But what he did, what his actions were from that point on, are incontrovertible. He canceled a trip that he had been planning to Israel, telling his associates, I just think if I go, the Arab world and Africa and Asia, for that matter, will interpret this as endorsing everything that Israel has done. From that point on, King never spoke publicly about the conflict again till his life was cut short. Instead, he let his actions do the talking. He practiced what he preached. He found a way to maintain integrity in his relationships with both Jews and Palestinians, Israelis and Arabs. And as Baldwin said, we know what to believe about what King said because we saw what he did. And so on this MLK weekend, we will hear from many who will invoke King's words with no intention of following them just as they do with Jesus every day. They will be pretending, but not us. Not this church. No, we're not pretending, are we? I don't want to be a pretender, do you? We're for real. We have to act like it. We're the kind of people who hear the word and do it. We're the kind of people who have faith and works. We're the kind of people who live out our faith with love, peace, justice, and liberation, who believe that none of us are free until all of us are free. We are not the kind of people who have social justice issues or issues with social justice. No, we're the kind of people who have relationships with the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized and the press, the kind of people who love and care for LGBTQIA plus people, for black and brown people, for immigrants and indigenous people, for women and children and Israelis and Palestinians and Jews and Muslims, the earth and all God's creation. We are not pretenders. We are not pretenders. We are the practitioners of the words of Jesus and the words of King. And we might not get it right all the time, we might not be perfect in the things we say, but as long as we're the kind of people who don't want to be pretenders, who never give up and who never surrender on the work that we're called to do, then we are the witnesses who will ensure that the true king and the true Jesus will be the one who is remembered and our world and our lives will be a better place. Amen.